Hello and welcome to episode three of the Total Quidditch podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make Quidditch what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser, I'll be your host, and today I'm joined by our first American and international guest. This person is a multiple-time Major League Quidditch or MLQ divisional MVP and three-time MLQ champion with the Boston Forge formerly known as Boston Knight Riders, and was part of the most recent iteration of the U.S. National Quidditch team that won the 2019 IQA Pan American Games. Teddy Costa, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. (laughs) Glad glad to have you here. So how how are you doing? So how has your experience of the pandemic been so far? You staying busy? Uh, You know, doing my best. Uh, You know, I'm lucky to to have a job that takes most of the time, you know, um, I don't love going into work, but you know, everybody's doing the best that they can, um, you know, being conscientious of each other, which, which is nice. I know that's not the case where everybody, you know, <laughs> gets to spend their time these days, but yeah, I mean, I got work, I got a uh, wonderful fiance, Jackie and dog Dashy here. So spending time with them, um doing my best to stay in shape but it's it's funny how much i'm realizing that like everything active that i used to enjoy doing was extremely social and like always had people around and so just finding different ways to stay motivated and and find joy (laughs) in life where you can but you know i'm definitely luckier than a lot of people so far so happy to happy for that yeah, I think that's something we can all relate to. So, uh, jumping right into our questions, um, starting at the very beginning, what was your Quidditch origin story? Were you much of an athlete before Quidditch, or was it something completely new to you? Sure. Um, so, I went to a small high school. So, I mean, I think there were like 169 kids in my graduating class. So, in, in high school, I played soccer, basketball, and baseball. Um, you know, I love gym class. I love just running around. Like, didn't have to be a sport if it was something active. I was happy to want to do that. Um, so then, as I went to college, I was I went with like the preseason for the soccer team, basically. So since I was on a sports team, I didn't need to pick a freshman week activity right away because I thought I was going to be on a soccer team. Um, and then, you know five days into that I got cut and I still needed to pick a freshman week activity and now everything was basically booked up so they had ballroom dancing and Quidditch were left so (laughs) you know I'm not I'm not much of a dancer um I have a lot of respect for people that can do that but I think I saved everyone when I decided to go try Quidditch instead because then nobody had to see that (laughs) um but it was and it turned out to be a blast, you know, got to, you know, try it out again. It's extremely active. I love the dodgeball aspect of it right away. Um, being the shortest kid in the basketball program at high school, uh, made me love that the tall hoop was only six feet off the ground. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, I went, I had a good time. Um, and basically Mario Nasta cornered me at the end and like made sure I gave him my number 
And he was like, I'm going to tell you exactly when all of our practices are. And uh, I'd say we've turned out to be pretty good friends since then. <laughs> and uh, things worked out in Quidditch wise, too. Oh, wow. So there's an, another lifetime in which we have Teddy Costa, the ballroom dancer. Or <laughs> right, right. <laughs> where I get cornered by somebody from the ballroom dance team. And, uh, and I get into that niche sport. <laughs> Well, I'm sure it's bigger than Quidditch. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's, it's very interesting to hear. So, as you mentioned, that that was uh, RPI, um, which is the team you played for your college yeah. career. So while you were there, uh, you guys ran a really unique offensive structure to your game, which is something sure. I've never really seen in Quidditch. So Louis Lemit kind of pointed me in direction, well, go, go and watch some RPI footage. So I did, and I was really impressed by what I saw. Um, so could you walk us through how that offensive structure worked? Uh, yeah, I won't spell it out completely, but I can point to like all the concepts that I like and encourage people to watch watch the film for themselves. Also, I must say we're honored because the way we saw it is we had to play differently than the way most teams played in 2013, 2014, and the way a lot of teams still play today. We're undersized at every position not the most athletic group right and there's no split at the time there's like you're playing against full adults or like little man children basically from huge schools like university of kansas university of texas um my first game at nationals i got run over at the university of minnesota and i remember just looking down their bench like they just have an entire like cavalry of subs all bigger than me waiting to <laughs> just run me into the ground basically. Um, so we kind of identified early that we need to create space with a ball movement rather than uh, physically take space by being overpowering or, you know, being always more athletic than the people we're guarding. Um, so yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of born of that need to, you know, use what you had available. Like we had some former soccer players on the team. So we like to get on the ball and get off the ball. And just the concept that applies to all sports of, you know, using passes to switch the field and getting action away from the ball um, to put pressure on a defense. Um, And that's something where still today, a lot of defenders, a lot of teams have issues guarding off the ball. is you don't you don't work on it. It's easy to do Oklahoma drills um, and work on how do I keep this person in front of me. But a lot of the time, you'll find as soon as you're off the ball, the defense stands up or they're lazy about whether they're switching or not switching. Um, and what was great about that offense as it was constructed at the time um, was basically we had really good chemistry with each other, and we all made the same reads of the defense at the same time, like when to back cut, when to be cut back to the ball, uh, when to just go set a ball screen because nothing else is working. Um, So, and that's one where not to kind of, you know, jump ahead, but the, none of my teams really run that exact offense still. RPI breaks it out every once in a while. Um, But the concepts of, move the ball and then get action away from the ball to open up space for your teammates. That concept 
as a motion offense is very, very ingrained into the new things that we run, even like what Revs was running at um, Crescent City Invitational, which was a fantastic tournament, um, you know, uh, all the way up to what you see some of what uh, the Boston MLQ team was running. Um, not to take credit for that, but those concepts are always there. Um, and so I think that they're immensely important and people should definitely go watch film and think about the best ways to use the talents you have on your team rather than trying to play copycat of what might work for other teams that are successful. That, that's, that's a really good point. Cause yeah, as you say, a lot, lot of teams do, do do that. They look at the best teams and go, okay, how can we do that? But sometimes you've got to look within yourself to really get the best out of your players. I just found it really interesting to watch how you as sort of a shorter player was sort of running and dominating this offense and how many different kind of looks you could get, whether it was sort of like a cut inside in a shot or as like out the back pass and like alley-oop. Like there's so many different options just based off that structure. So it's really interesting uh, to right. see. It. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and it was this a pure motion offense. Like the rule was pass and then pick away, which you, you'll see if you look at the tape, like, so the benefit of that is if the defense cheats one way or another, you have full reign to adjust to that cheating or poaching and make a cut the other way. And the rest of the offense was supposed to just fill in its space, um, which is great when you have people that are all on the same page. Um, what I noticed was part of the issue was as we had turnover on the roster, and new people were trying to jump into an offense where everyone else was already on the same page, uh, especially with like a short regionals period, because we would have regionals in October. Um, you were kind of up against the clock to get everyone trained to read the same things. Yeah. Um, so I have taken some concepts as you know time has gone on from that and turned them into a little bit more of uh you add some rules here and there as you change the offense a little bit so that it's less dependent on the person with the ball and the person without the ball making the same exact read at the same time. Instead, you can add a rule like if someone cuts here, someone else cut here, rather than expecting freshmen who have never played the sport to figure it out. Yeah, um, kind of giving them guidelines as to what to do. Guidelines, right. Yeah. Right. So it's, and it's all about adapting. Um, you know, I'm not really convinced that concepts get less effective. I think that you have to be wary of what types of defense and what techniques people are using to play against you. Um, it's definitely part of my like folly <laughs> when I was younger was I would think that something will always work. Like they can't do a certain thing. It'll always work instead of continuing to read what was happening and make adjustments of, okay, they're technically not playing it exactly the same. So we should do something that looks more like this instead, or I should try not to force that option as much. Um, so, you know, definitely about adapting. And then as the defense reacts to what you're adapting to, then maybe that opens up what you were doing the first time, you know, stuff like that. Well, that's, that, that's really fascinating to hear and kind of sit, hear the intricate detail in which you've, thought about it uh so you mentioned earlier that you and marion Asp became very good friends while you're rpi so what, what do you think makes you and mario such good teammates and friends 
So I believe that you're kind of one of the sort of great bromances within within Quidditch. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah, I, I love Mario. Um, you know, he's he's the best. Um, he's the best in a lot of ways. He's infuriating in a lot of ways. I'm sure he would say the same thing about me. But no, we yeah, we have a great we have a great bromance. Um, definitely one of my best friends. I'm lucky to have met him. Um, yes, I mean, I think part of what makes us great teammates is we are great friends. I think the other thing that kind of made us fast friends was um, we both saw, you know, passion in each other to make our program better. So my, before my freshman year, they got blown out pretty much every single game at regionals. I think they won one game. Um, so I, I came onto a team with one official win basically in its history um, or something like that. And he was a competitor, and so was I. And we saw opportunity to be innovative, to work with each other, um, to try to build something from the ground up. And we got really passionate about that um, and became more and more comfortable bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, you know, and it's good because we could check each other, right? Like, we both like to think that we're always right all the time. Um, but a lot of time we disagree. So that obviously can't be true. Um, and it's good to have each other to kind of check, keep us in check, right? Like there's a lot of time, especially once he transitioned to beater, where I think, hey, this idea is great. And I draw it up for him because uh, I have a basketball background and it's it's easy to draw basketball plays. There's no beaters. It's like, if you want to cut in the middle, make sure it's open and there's, you can cut right through it, right? Like that's not the same for Quidditch. So, you know, I have... I've had an entire graveyard of ideas I thought were great. And he just points out one little thing to me and it's killed before we even try it in practice, which is good because it saves time, (laughs) you know? Um, But so definitely having somebody to, with the same vision, um, but a slightly different perspective helped us to kind of grow the program and our friendship grew along with that. Uh, but we're also just lucky to be able to have that type of leadership rule from an early age because we made a ton of mistakes. And I'm sure if one of us was there without the other, we would have made more. Um, but yeah, definitely just a great opportunity to kind of grow together in a young sport and see opportunities to be like, hey, we're in at the right time. Like nobody knows who RPI Quidditch is right now, but we could make it so everybody does. Like we could be great together, and uh, other than that, he's just a good guy. It's a good, good perspective to have. And obviously, having that honesty between each other to sort of, sort of go, yeah, I really respect you, so I'm going to tell you exactly what I think about this and how we're going to progress together. So, what oh, yeah. would you say was um, your favorite moment of your college career with RPI? Um, I have a lot, and I think I just oh sorry, uh, I just filled out a bio for the MLQ QuidCon. Uh, that they're having, which everybody I recommend go check out. Um, it'll help teams of all different abilities, players at an individual level, uh, and it's good networking opportunity. So everybody go check that out. Um, I think I answered this differently in that bio, and that's a benefit of just having so many great memories, and that's why I love Quidditch. Um, but I'd say now I'd say my favorite memory is definitely uh, senior year. Uh, at nationals, basically making it to the elite eight, um, you know, 
we only lost one game all weekend. It was to Cavs. Um, they played great. They're just better in every way. Um, so it was inspiring, but it was also great to see kind of at the end, as that was me and Mario's last year playing with the team, uh, how far things had come, you know, <clears throat> especially for Mario. He was there when they only won one game at regionals at the fort in Rhode Island. He was there. And now we just beat, you know, Maryland, which was a, t a top college team at the time. Uh, who did we beat? We beat Minnesota, which was kind of a revenge game for us. Like, we played great at regionals. We played great at Cat City that year. We had recruited and built that team, you know, thanks to the help of everyone else in our recruiting class, all of the, you know, people we have behind the scenes. We had fantastic presidents of the program and Patrick Martin. Um, Swaggy, Swaggy T was a great uh, vice president, Tom Basista, uh, young Tyler Beckman. Like, you know, there's so many people that helped put in place, like, kind of a little tiny version of our vision. Like, yeah, we wanted to win a USQ championship. I still do. Um, obviously, he still does too, but it's something we're still passionate about. But to be able to see, at the like, after losing a hard game, you know, like, we got put out of range by just a fantastic team that beat us at every turn. Like we executed our game plan okay, and they were just better. And to be able to, at the end of that game, like look at the friends and teammates that we had mm -hmm. accumulated and built this program into, and the state that we were leaving it in to very capable young leaders uh, was awesome. And it's why I keep playing. Uh, if it wasn't like that, I'm sure I would have, found something else by now because i'm 25 and getting too old for this <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's obviously a, sort of a, a great note to finish on kind of seeing that journey from sort of a, a small team to make that progress doing everything you can against cavalry and finishing the top eight in the country's massive massive right. achievement so i've noticed a lot sort of when i've watched you play so obviously as you mentioned before you're not one of the biggest players in the world um However, sort of one of I think the key characteristics of you is your explosiveness, like your your ability to dunk on the hoops, sort of your handball style jump shots that you do, your sidestepping, sort of the leg drive you have when you're tackling players. Is this something that you've trained and like improved on over the years, or has it been something that you've always been naturally able to do? Um, I would yeah, I wouldn't call myself the most like naturally gifted. I would say I'm definitely lucky with what I have been given naturally, but I think my background and what I played growing up have just like translated into a, like there's a lot of translatable skills. Like, so one, actually I'd say naturally I do have a Napoleon complex. So that's why I dunk so hard. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, now that I have the chance to dunk, I'm going to dunk as hard as I can. So MLQ, I gave you that great shout out. Please bring back, uh, knocking over hoops it's good for the game and it's extremely marketable um that's my pitch for that <laughs> um the, the the other stuff um i was definitely a better point defender when i was closer to having played high school basketball um i was in incredible shape and very fast laterally um luckily you can use your arm in this sport so you can be kind of a step slower and still <laughs> still make some plays um yeah i mean i i work on the technique a lot now especially as i'm trying to stay in shape like 
a lot of agility ladder stuff. That's stuff that I find fun. So maybe it doesn't feel like I train it, but at every opportunity I can get to try to juke somebody out or be explosive. That's the type of athleticism that I find the most fun. Just like power lifters, like lifting heavy and bodybuilders, like toning every little thing or whatever. You know, I like trying to be more explosive than I used to be. Um, so I, but I will say like, especially I'm noticing now during the pandemic, like a lot of the training that I would get for that is by playing with my friends and trying to just play the game. Um, yeah, that's interesting to hear. And obviously, uh, if you enjoy a certain type of training aspect of training, and obviously you can see the benefits of it when you get on the field, like that must be really encouraging. Yeah, moving on now. Um, so you, you graduated from RPI. Obviously, you, you, you and Mario both left the team and played for the, the uh, Bosnian Bear Sharks for a bit. And then you went down to play in Texas with the Houston Cosmos. So how would you say that experience was different to playing for RPI or Bosnia in the Northeast? How does it contrast? Yeah, uh, it's definitely different in a lot of ways. Um, there's a ton of regional pride down there. Southwest is a fantastic region, a tough region, hard nose. They make you work for every little thing. Um, Northeast kind of plays around a little bit. They like, you know, consider themselves Einsteins or whatever. It's mostly my fault, I feel like, but um, <laughs> it's it definitely, you know, nothing is easy in the Southwest. I learned that. Um, the other thing that was kind of interesting was like, so I thought I was done after I lost after we lost to Austin in 2017, um, I thought I was going to stop playing. I was moving for three hours or two hours, two and a half hours away from Boston. But like, oh, it's not practical, whatever. And Mario dragged me to regionals with Bosnia. That was my, I only played, I only played three weekends with Bosnia. I think I played regionals, uh, Cat City, which was also a U.S. national team tryout. And then, uh nationals so i love those people those guys on the team uh but it was definitely a different experience because at rpi i was playing with my teammates the people that i've recruited you know five days a week yep. you know every single weekend we're playing you know that's two hours that's 10 hours a week right so there's a lot of time to work on the nuance and get this type of drill in and work on this and then on that team it was awesome because at Bosnia, it was awesome because they're all-stars and you're playing with other friends that you've met throughout Quidditch and it's easy, like, you can almost take a game off and be like, okay, well, Tyler Trudeau is about to go off between him and Jules. I don't really need to contribute anything and we're going to win. You know, um, that's nice. Um, but definitely a different vibe. It's very uh, free-flowing, kind of like the 2015 MLQ season where people were kind of figuring things out and a lot of athleticism was winning out. Um, and it was a ton of fun. Like the team culture was a ton of fun. I'd say Cosmos was different in that they let me coach, which I was incredibly grateful for. Um, and it was in a lot of ways, a learning experience of, you know, cause I, the last team that I had coached was two years ago at a college where everybody lived on campus and it's easy to be like, Hey, everybody come out. And even if it wasn't Quidditch, like, Hey, everybody come play pool in the union. You know, like stuff like that. Whereas now, Houston as a city takes me longer to drive across than the state of Rhode Island. <laughs> so, like, 
it's hard to get people to to practice. It's yeah. hard, you I know. Think and Texas, isn't it? <laughs> it? It's so big. It's remarkably big. Shout out to Texas for being enormous. Um, <laughs> and hopefully they all get their power and water back soon. Not to change the topic too it's much. Crossed, but thoughts are definitely with Texas. Um, but you know, it was it was great to get to meet so many hardworking people there, like people that would drive 45 minutes just to come to a practice, you know, once, once a week, or people that would try to leave after work to go make an after work practice. Uh, you know, we'd have to play underneath the one, the one light in the park, basically. So our field was like wrapped around the, the light, you know, like stuff like that. Um, it, it was good to be able to kind of see an entirely new playing style. Um, meet teammates that I'll be forever grateful for like so grateful to have met Ashton and Autumn MacArthur and the Peeblers who like it was also weird because like a lot of that old Texas State team like they were the first big game of Quidditch I watched in that final at um U.S. Quidditch Cup 7 yeah. like Richie McAvoy Kemp was on that team I didn't know that he was the guy that the PA announcer called Ocho Cinco for that whole game Right. And then I met him and we start talking. And you're like, oh, no way. Like, big fan. Nice to meet you. Like, you know what I mean? So it's stuff like that is uh, is cool. I mean, get, getting to meet those those people who are able to put trust in me, work hard at a completely new offense, um, a new style of of Quidditch, basically, um, and try to, you know, try to be better than any Cosmos team has ever been and getting the chance to do that and going to nationals and winning you know, winning a game with them. We were in a few other games and you, you hate to see games that you're in slip away. Um, yeah. But getting to, getting to really work hard and form a bond with those guys is what you love about Quidditch. But the regional differences, the differences in like background and upbringing, like all of that was, was cool to be a part of in Texas. Yeah, that's, that's really fast, fascinating to hear that insight. And kind of how essentially with your college team it's kind of more convenience based and people do it because it's something to do while they're at college and then right. when it gets to sort of the club game and you're playing with graduates and full full-blown adults they're there because they're really passionate about what they do and they will make that effort to drive to practice and they will well make they'll, they'll do everything in their power to play the game and i think that's something that's really commendable about people who've graduated and continued the sport Fantastic. Uh, so you briefly mentioned there the uh, 2015 MLQ season. So obviously, that was the very first season of Major League Quidditch. Um, and you've kind of been in, in at the start with the, the Boston team there and had a lot of success, or the most successful team in uh, MLQ history. Um, so I guess first place to start, so what persuaded you to get involved with MLQ? Did you know many of the other Boston players beforehand or was it a brand new experience entirely? Um, I think I knew them. I don't know that any of them knew me. Um, and, you know, again, to give credit to Mario, he's the reason that I even played MLQ. The way I saw it, my parents' house was an hour and 20 minutes or whatever from Boston. So I was like, yeah, it's too far. And Mario was like, I'm going to live in Troy and drive to New York. Like you could, you could play Boston, but you should definitely do it. It would be like show everybody, you know, and he hyped me up. 
he was like, yeah, show everybody how good you are. And I was like, okay, well, I want you to play. I want you to get all the glory. <laughs> so <laughs> um, the dog mentality. Right. And uh, it was, it was nice. So I couldn't make it. I had finals the week of the tryout. So I sent in a video tryout that's still uh, in the doldrums of YouTube somewhere. Um, and just really grateful that I've had great teammates help. They stayed after practice for like an hour and a half while I filmed a bunch of videos. Um, it was like a shooting portion. And I was like, I didn't make enough. Like, let's do it again. I think I did like probably five or six takes of it because it had to be no cuts. So if I'm taking 10 or 15 shots, and I want to redo it by the third one. Like you, you know what I mean? Like it would, yeah, I would shoot the best 15, possible. <laughs> I would shoot all fifteen shots and then be like, "Oh, let's do it again." <laughs> <laughs> and like, so I threw my arm out that day, but it was, uh, you know, thanks to them for for doing that with me. Uh, I've gotten the word from Harry and Jake. Uh, you know, I won't name names, but one of them didn't like the. You know, one of them was like, "Ah, oh, he's just an RPI kid." And the other one was like, uh, why not keep him? And then showed up to, you know, my, I think it was the second practice of the season. I couldn't make the first one because I was still at school. Um, showed up to the second practice, decently nervous, but, you know, with the intention of getting noticed, basically. But it was one of those where, like, David Fox was like, I had seen him play on the national stage before. I'd just gotten blown out by, like, Jake before uh, i didn't know harry that well but i knew he was supposed to be a big deal <laughs> uh you know stuff like that where i knew everybody's names but nobody really knew me um and i remember that first practice like okay you're you're playing with jake in this round like just try to act like kezzy teller because he was on that um qcb team back at the time and they were an extremely hard duo to guard i was like i know jake likes to throw it long um so go get out in front of the play. I think one of the first possessions, he hit me on a bomb for an easy layup. And that kind of just got the juices flowing. And I went a little bit unconscious after that and worked hard in practice and was able to get on his line for actually playing. And, you know, I think a lot of the rest is history. But that that team was extremely fun to play on because, again, they didn't have a rule about knocking over hoops. MLQ, please, I implore you, bring back <laughs> Bad Boys of Boston. Because um, we, we, you know, they had the eighth man was covering it. It was a, it was a new league. It was very exciting, um, extremely competitive. You know, taking all the teams in the country and only having eight. You know, sorry, West, but it was, you know, it was cool. Um, and you see, like, oh. You know, Augie Monroe is living in New York for the summer and we pick we think New York will win the championship. And so all of a sudden we had like the whole team had an enormous chip on our shoulder. Um, and Harry, as a coach, definitely helped kind of instill that in us. I remember a day when I was a little bit late. I, I think I was nine minutes late. And he was like, why didn't you tell me you're going to be late? And I was like, oh, I was already in Boston. That's where the nine minutes came from. I didn't I didn't know there's going to be that much traffic or whatever. Um, and a few other people were late and we did sprints for probably a half hour and not like we're going to do a half hour sprints like one at a time. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Like that scene in Miracle. Basically. Um, and it sucked. 
but we were all angry together and <laughs> we played angry. Uh, and it was great. You know, we played physical defense. Um, we got easy shots and we, we worked our asses off. Um, so that was, that was a really fun team to be a part of. And I took a lot of pride in standing out in a way that I'm not sure I do as much now, but like I basically, I played to be a show off because it was really important to me that RPI gets recognition and that we have players. So it would have been a really easy team to just keep passing to Harry and Jake and David, you know, and Tyler, um, you know, or let Jules and Carly and Hannah debates and let, and Steph green, I think was on that team let all them just show off. But I took it a little upon myself to make sure that people knew that RPI produced players because we wanted people to come out and play us. You know, if we, if you have a cupcake schedule all year, then by the time you get to play anybody good, you're going to be unprepared. So, yeah, that, that's a really interesting take. Sort of go, yeah, I want to put my, not only myself on the map, but my college team, like get the word out. And uh, yeah, something I never really thought about. But as you said there, that, that, that Boston team was really fun, obviously, for you to play in, but also really fun to watch. Kind of how I got into following MOQ was seeing that initial Boston team play. Um, I guess. So you won the, the championship that first year. How significant did it feel to win that MLQ title? Because obviously New York had Augie coming up to play for them, sort of massive name within the sport. And, well, I think it was like only eight teams across the league. It wasn't the whole country, anything like that. Yeah. A brand new league. Did it feel special? Um, it, it should have felt more special. I think I was naive. Um, I was so caught up on everything else and just enormously filled with confidence. I was never worried about like, like it didn't feel like a big deal that we ran the table and won the first ever MLQ championship, like working with those guys and those people in practice every week. I didn't realize how hard it was to win a championship until we lost. So it was kind of like, I, you know, you know me, I'm full of confidence and it's probably uh, hurts me sometimes, but young Teddy was like, yeah, of course we won. We're the best. Why wouldn't we win? Um, <laughs> and it wasn't until we got absolutely smacked by Austin in the 2017 semifinals that, you know, I realized like, Hey, you know, it's not just one city of, of good players in this world. <laughs> you know, there's yeah, a so lot of good players. You realize what you have until you, you lost it basically. So, yeah. And, between 2017 and 2018 that's i mean that's why i was especially emotional winning lat you know 2019 because i had seen what it takes to beat those guys and i think austin you know not to kind of jump ahead but i think that you know rivalry that has developed would make each other better um i'm sure that by the time we get to play quidditch next that team of freak athletes that's already in better shape <laughs> is going to be in even better shape. Uh, and they're going to be hungry and they're going to, you know, push us to need to be the best that we can be. Otherwise they're going to smack us again. Um, and I, when I tell you that was a beatdown, that was a beatdown. Like in that game, like I had the entire team, the entire bench calling out exactly when I was going to shoot and just catching it. Like <laughs> that's demoralizing. And, yeah, that's and they were in every single way, the better team that year. 
Um, and so it, it really was one of those things where 2015, I had no idea the magnitude of what it took to win a championship. Like I thought I knew what it took to work hard. I was putting in a lot of work with RPI and seeing improvements, but there's a difference between being a good team and a great team. And there's a difference between being a great team and the best team. And only one team gets to be the best. So now I have a lot better appreciation for it. But at the time, I was just a kid along for the ride. I, you know, I was the only one that couldn't buy couldn't buy champagne after the championship. I I went into the liquor store and came out with a candy bar. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> it was uh, it was a cool experience. It was a great bonding uh-huh. experience and something I'm happy to have been a part of, uh, and something that I appreciate more now than I did at the time. Oh, yeah, that's good. Good reflections out there. Uh, so obviously you touched on the rivalry between yourselves and the Austin Outlaws, which is sort of a massive rivalry in MLQ and then also kind of regionally within the US, how you've got the Texas teams and you've got the Northeast teams, kind of the major hubs for the sport. Um, so just looking at 2016 year when you went back to back, winning the second MLQ championship as well, uh, league, league finals were down in League City, Texas. Um, it's difficult to follow. I think there's like a thunderstorm or something, whatever. Yeah, horrible weather. And Austin had this incredible team, likes like Stevie Bell, Oig Monroe, Casey Irwin, um, just like a star-studded team. Yeah. But uh, able to defeat them. Sort of, what's your experience of 2016 like? Um, that was that was incredible. That moment was not entirely lost on me. Although, again, I was kind of filled with too much confidence of like. Yeah, well, well, we will always win. Um, and I think that that's part of it. Like, if you don't believe you're going to win, you're not going to. Um, but that that was special in a lot of ways. It was completely disgusting. Like, the field was completely torn up. Mud everywhere. Absolute downpour. Austin had to grind out a couple of games against Los Angeles in the mud. Um League City played their ass off in front of their home, you know, for those people that were there. Um, they, they played great. It's a lot of, like, hard-nosed, you know, nothing is easy Quidditch that weekend. Um, and it was, it was a great run that we got to have. Um, we had – Harry had a ridiculously fast catch on, I think, Gabe Garces, uh, which – does not you could probably count those on one hand um and that got us inside to to go watch so i was like having a 20 minute game with that snitch or you know a similarly very good snitch was able to get us inside to go watch everyone else struggle out in the rain and watch austin like you know we knew they were going to win but to see them have to grind it out you know for an hour have every single player on that team completely completely covered in mud like they're washing off with the hose after like the pictures from that weekend are great unfortunately i'm sure that the video (laughs) the video is is garbage um but it was it was a great weekend of just working hard it was a a bonding experience you know what i mean like when you go through adversity like that it's a great bonding experience but i will say that austin team had names um but they were kind of a blending of two philosophies um yeah and i think because of that they didn't get the most out of either of them so like 
yeah, you had Kedzie and Stevie and Becca DuPont and Augie and uh, Casey, I think, was on that team and Arian and Marty and you know, all those guys, all those people. But you didn't have the full Lone Star style. You didn't have the full um, Cav style that was still kind of developing. Um, and I'm not saying they played badly. They played great. They, you know, they beat us. We caught, I think we caught two snitches to win. So yeah, obviously they played great. Um, fine margins of the sport here, aren't we? Right, right. But, and it made them very hard to guard because different people would play differently. Um, they, it was a fun team to play against, you know, like a little chatter about, oh, I'm Mukau, I'm Mukau, and then saying it back at them. And then I remember trying to take on Becca DuPont and her just absolutely putting me on my ass. Um, you know, like it was, it was fun. You get, you get hype in those moments. Um, it's very hotly contested. Um, and the, the birth of something great for sure. But I think we, in that the 2016 riders team was one of the best teams of all time, in my opinion. Um, like our third line was incredible. Right. And they didn't even get to play that much. So like that, that team was great, but I think that it would be naive to say we didn't get lucky for also catching Austin maybe a year early. Um, because that 2017 team that Austin had was mean and yeah. They they played with a fire and a chip on their shoulder. And I remember Sam Ham uh literally shit talking our stretching. Literally yeah. it started from the beginning. Uh <laughs> and that team had Simona Renz was on both of those teams, like just absolute houses of people, Greek gods on a Quidditch field, basically. Um, with a ton of experience and a winning attitude. Um and they were more than ready the next year, and we were just absolutely not. Um, and so they put us back down at the bottom of the mountain and to have to climb back up. Uh, and the way that we were lucky enough to do it back in 2019, um, because those games very easily could have gone the other way, could have been sweeped the other way. I mean, yep. I'm not sure that if the 2019 series went to three games, I will always bet on us. I would hate to play us no matter what. Um, but if we played a third game, we were absolutely gassed after the second game. And Austin is a team with incredible depth and people that know how to win. And they had already won a game three, literally like two hours before. So, um, we could be having a different conversation, but just really grateful for the way things have turned out. And <laughs> it's awesome that the rivalry is such that we are able to make each other better without playing. Like, we don't play each other a lot, which so it's kind of like Celtics Lakers type of thing. But I'm sure that they know we are trying to get better to beat them. And just like we know that they're trying to get better to beat us. Um, and not to overlook New York either. New York is definitely coming and they are primed and ready to compete for a championship. They beat both of us last year. So the team in New York has great chemistry and uh, leadership that's also hungry to win too. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear kind of the, the real detail behind that rivalry because it's such a, a massive thing within the sport. Um, so a big feature of MLQ is series play. So they, you'll show up to a regular season game and best of three, whoever wins, best of three wins the series, gets the points. 
Um, that's, a, that's a big feature both in regular season play and then at the championship. So how do you say series play is different from regular tournament Quidditch and which one do you prefer? Um, definitely prefer series to a tournament. Um, it's so much more like as a player being there, the logistics of it, like series is absolutely the future of Quidditch. Um, and I'm blessed to be in a region that is, uh, dense with teams. Um, right. Like as you get more spread out, who's going to drive eight hours to play three games, right? Of course, the crappy thing is that sometimes at tournaments, you'll drive eight hours to play five games, right? Like you'll, you'll drive eight hours, play five games over the course of eight more hours. Whereas for the series play, you get to the field and you've got three games done in two and a half hours, right? That's a much more efficient use of everybody's time. You stay ready. You don't get cold, you know, and get, you have to warm up over and over and over again. You know, you kind of play, you're still a little bit warm, do a little stretching and, and you keep going. So as a, as a player, I prefer, and as someone that drives to tournaments now, cause I'm an adult and I have to just drive places, um, definitely prefer a series play to tournaments. Um, in terms of like the competitiveness, it's kind of interesting because MLQ has been series based for a while, but there is a remark, like at least, the MLQ championships, there's a lot of sweeps um, at, you know, in the games that matter. Like New York pushing Austin to three games was basically the first time we've had a game three that really, really mattered um, for the outcome of the tournament. Not to like brush over every other game three. Like, sorry, I'm putting a big Teddy spin on the history <laughs> of footage here. But from my perspective, that's what it is. And you could tell me I'm wrong. We love engagement. Um, <laughs> but so it's it's interesting. I think, especially as the future goes, like we're seeing a lot more parity throughout the United States. Like there's really, really good players on a lot of different teams. And I think they're all making improvements, uh, especially as people move around. Um, like, you know, so I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity where I expect more and more parity as time goes on, in which case you won't want to see just one game of these two teams playing each other you'd want to see at least two and then eventually you know maybe you'll want to see four out of seven and we can play one game a day um mm. that'll be the goal someday someday quidditch will be a one game a day televised thing and then we'll know we've made it <laughs> yeah well i i found from watching the mlq that i've seen that what is interesting to see is how a team might go for like a certain like tactical approach in game one and they get it completely wrong and it's it's a wash like they're not going to win the game and then they have that break they recollect themselves go hang on a minute let's make these adjustments and then game two come out as a completely different team and then they come back and maybe even win the game take it to game three yeah um, i think that's really interesting to kind of give people a while to like work out their opponents and sort of find new ways of beating them because norm, in normal sort of tournament play, you get that one shot, that's it. Whereas here, it's kind of more testing your intellect and your ability to adapt across sort of a day against the same opponent. Absolutely. And that's why, like, timeouts are also a huge thing, like, that the sport is adding. And, like, shout out to MLQ for adding that first. Like, it's important to be able to stop and make adjustments. And I, and I will say, not to break this more about Austin and Boston, but... Um, 
great rivalry. Those people are great, and I'm happy to be a part of it. But in 2018, I remember, um, you know, we had just gotten smacked in 2017. 2018, they're playing, you know, a big 2-2 and, and beating us pretty good. We switched into a zone that we haven't – we're just like, hey, we have to do something different. And so is Isabel Leon on the sideline has us playing a zone, and it works, like, you know, which is kind of cool because we never practice it. So not something I would suggest uh, because – we weren't able to come back and win that game, but it definitely helped us uh, get some momentum towards the end of it. Um, they had Azeem on the other sideline, an incredible coach, someone I have a ton of respect for, even though I'm not sure that we've ever actually had a face-to-face conversation. Um, they come out on the other side and they were ready to just tear it apart. So at that point, then we have to get away from what we were trying to do. You know, So it's kind of, you're right, in between games and with timeouts and everything, you get the chance to, make adjustments which lead to counter adjustments which makes the rest of the sport so much better right like the sport would be in trouble if like the only strategy involved was slow balling meaning just playing as slowly as possible right like it's much more complex than that and when you give teams and good athletes chances to use their brain they're going to and it's going to make the entire sport better Oh, definitely yeah, sure. like that for series as well. Yeah, for sure, I agree. Uh, scaling back to your earlier point, how your early days with Boston, you wanted to kind of make a show of yourself and to sort of show what you're capable of. There's sort of a famous clip that MLQ put up of you nutmegging a Washington Admirals player um, one of the regular season's games where legs wide open, roll the ball between their legs, run the other side, pick it up on the other side. Have you, have you done that move since? Uh, every chance I get. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, really fun it. to watch. <laughs> I actually, I, I pulled one back, you know, I finally made Team USA. I don't want to do anything stupid and get cut or benched. Um, <laughs> so I had one lined up at Pan Am and I pulled it back right in front of our bench. Um, and Yana talked to me about it afterwards. I, I think it was either Yana or Ethan. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything, you know, I want to keep it clean and make sure I don't do anything dumb. And, uh, and they said, uh, uh, it seemed like it would have been okay. Of course, I'm going to dig myself my own grave uh, <laughs> with, it, with this whole thing. Seemed like it would have been okay. So, which was good for me because it kind of shook some of the nerves off. I think I threw a bounce pass to Marty like later in the game, just like in the middle. But yeah, every chance I get, do they at college, uh, a lot in practice when I can. The thing is you play against the same people, they they look for That's it. Um, <laughs> and again, young Teddy was filled with probably with even more confidence than current Teddy. And it was probably a little bit too much. Like I've tried it behind my own hoops before. That's probably a bad play, right? Just, just <laughs> wait, just don't, right? Like you don't want to throw it off somebody's heels. Uh, I don't Jake Archibald yelled at me pretty good for that once. And I deserved it. I took it. I deserved it. He's a good guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've, Literally every single chance that I get, I want to do something like that. I think yeah, it's cool. important to make the sport fun to watch. And yeah, exactly. It's got to be fun to watch, fun to play. So myself, I've, I've tried it a few times. There's one time where we were playing sort of a top-level UK game, and it got to the point where I was thinking, this game's really boring, and I've got this Team UK player, legs wide open in front of me. And I sort of go, do it. Go on, do it. So I 
nutmeg the guy and there's a beater standing right in front of me yeah so I'm like oh there's nothing i can do so i went for a kick curled it and it just misses the medium hoop by a few inches oh man so that really, would have been the goal of the century i, we I will say so, yeah right that that goal, that clip is cut that was one of the best drives i've ever had in my life and i got absolutely stuffed at the hoops by darren Curry, who was a great player but yeah i mean after that meg i made a defender fall over and then dodged a beat only to just have the ball knocked out of my hands at the hoop. so easily <laughs> so like yet so far <laughs> a complete bumbling of what might have been the greatest goal of my life um i hate to see play um so yeah, just going back to MLQ Championship 2019, you obviously mentioned how rather than you and Austin, you were kind of put at the bottom of the mountain after the 2017-2018 defeats. And then you made your way back to the top, managed to beat them two very, very close games in the final. Kind of the emotion coming out, I remember your interview about Tyler Beckman afterwards and your the passion you showed there was incredible. Um, but yeah, the, the finals, the, the two games were a real advert for not just the sport, but also the MLQ sort of rule changes, and especially the the sort of set score endgame scenario. So, how do you think that impacted the the finals between you and Austin? Uh, obviously, it had an enormous impact, right? Like that's that right there should close the book on if set set score is better than the normal way we close out games. Like you had two games that were extremely edge of your seat exciting the entire way and they were one in two different ways um you know it adds more strategy into the game it keeps it engaging for longer um it encourages different types of seeking right like um austin won a ton of games this year where they were like nah, we're just going to keep winning and quaffle like don't don't kill yourself seeking we have more games to play um and that's fine Right. Like, so, and for us, we were obviously, we dug ourselves a hole because that's an incredible team who was playing better than us. Um, and then out of desperation, you have to win any way that you can. Um, so just even having those like out of breath, crazy on the fly conversations on the sideline where you're like yelling at people, like don't score. Right. Like, I mean, I, I cramped up in the back, but we were deliberately trying to just drag the ball because we're down, I think, two. They're like, so we need four goals to win. They need two. And we hadn't gotten a stop in a half hour, it felt like. So it's like, you know what I mean? Snitch on pitch. Like, there's a lot of speed on that team, a lot of speed on the bench on that team. And we were absolutely gassed and they were just running right by us. So it was like, mm. if you score, you're giving the team that has won the most games in MLQ history by just quaffle points to quaffle back, right? So Tyler really bailed us out with a catch because I'm not sure that everybody was on the same page about what the play was. Because <laughs> um, if we were about to, like, even if you run in and score, it's just, you're digging yeah. your own grave. Potential. That, that, that's just the end of game two. Game, game one was also equally tense and thrilling. You, you got yourself a card. Sort of a right. few minutes to the end. Both teams need a goal to win the game, and then right. Austin have this power play. They can't score in it. You come back on, and then Grace scores that goal to win. And, uh, incredible, incredible team defense. That that was awe-inspiring. Like I definitely was out of it. Like I 
should have been more upset at the time, but we had been rolling. They caught the snitch a long time before that. Um, and there's a clip, like you'll see if you watch the game, the scoreboard was wrong for a possession. They fixed it by the time me and Jake made this mistake, but we thought they needed one goal when they needed two goals. So there's a restart. Uh, they score from behind hoops, and me and Jake both toss our brooms <laughs> because we just lost. And uh, the ref for that game, Chris, was extremely confused. <laughs> he was like, like I, I don't know if that's a delay a game or what, but we both just kind of picked up our brooms and tapped in and like kept playing. But it's almost like synchronized where we both thought that we lost. Um, so definitely the math is harder, I guess, in set score, but it's not that yeah. bad. Really, really be on top of it. There's people with all the blood, with all the oxygen to their brain, you know, like making decisions about the math. So you don't have to worry about it when you're playing that much. Um, true. But yeah, like after that point, we were just rolling. We were getting stops. Mario and Leon had control. They're playing their ass off. Um, the wing chasers were playing great. Our rotations were good. And we were going down and scoring. Um, not necessarily in the ways you would like. I mean, we had Jake had to land on a ball at half and then out of a scrum, throw a slider through the side hoop. Like, that's not how you would draw it up on paper. But <laughs> when you get to that <laughs> point, a goal, all right, like a, a goal is a goal, right? And yeah. we were inching closer. So I definitely should have been more worried um, at that time. But the team to that point in the season had showed so much fight. We got completely outplayed for three games in New York, and I know they're probably kicking themselves about not finishing that off. But they, you know, they beat us. But the fact that we had two wins in that series was incredible because we got completely outplayed. So we were used to. I had confidence that even when we were the worst team, we could still win, um, which doesn't make sense when you say it out loud. But yeah, I, I hear that. Like the, I feel like the best teams. You think about like Manchester United in football. The sort of how they're able to win the last minute of the game. It's kind of, you play really badly, or not really badly, but you, you don't play to your potential, but still manage to right. win. Like That's a real mark of a great team. Right. And I think that we had the trust and confidence in each other that we could always pull through. So I definitely, like, picking up that card against Augie, it was a hustle play. Like, I wouldn't not do it. I obviously, I wasn't trying to hit him. It was just, he got to the ball before me, and I just ended up fouling him. Um so I should have been more worried, but especially like once the first 20 seconds of that went on and they pulled it out um, and seeing you know, Brian make that fantastic play on the sideline. Grace made a great play. The beaters were able to stay engaged and hold off on any obvious driving opportunities. Um, I knew as soon as I subbed in, there was no way we were losing that game for sure. Um I wanted as badly as I could to shoot it too. <laughs> I remember screaming to Leanne, get me a beat because I was going to catch and shoot. And I was probably like halfway through my shot and Josh Andrews is standing on that hoop because he's a great keeper and he's not going to just let me take the same exact shot twice in a row. Yep. So then there was like the shortest moment of panic ever. And obviously Grace was in the perfect spot um, running our offense perfectly. And it was it was an easy it was easy. Um, so yeah, just another example of like Grace completely bailing my ass out. Um, I'm just really lucky to have a lot of good teammates uh, throughout my career. Yeah, for sure. 
was a yeah, fantastic advert for the sport, that 2019 finals. Uh, so you were selected to play for USA um, at the Pan American Games uh, also in that 2019 summer. So what was your experience of playing with the, the US national team? Or well, did you feel quite comfortable with stepping into that team? Or was it a case of kind of like your early Boston days where you really trying to prove yourself and prove you deserve to be there? Uh, I'd say it definitely was not like the early Boston days. Um, like I can say like the year before I tried out and had an absolutely horrible tryout. And I think a lot of it was due to the way that I tried to play instead of complimenting the players around me and having respect for how great they all were. I like went out of my way to try to stand out and I played like absolute garbage, like was way too selfish, made the rest of my team bad, which is horrible. Like those guys are also trying out. And if I'm hogging the ball and taking horrible shots, they don't have a chance to stand out either. So definitely not the case. Um, Ethan Sturm uh, broke the news to me and he talked to me about like, yeah, you're, you're also on this team. Like, as a as a piece right like we don't need teddy that dominates the ball we need teddy that moves the ball and that was excellent bit of coaching because that's absolutely what they need like there's so many there's so many studs on that team all the way around you need the right pieces to fit so uh, if anything i was like pretty nervous um the week of practice it wasn't bad because i knew i knew of everybody i knew everybody well enough from playing against them or playing you know or playing with them um for the most part there's people i didn't really know that well um but it was it was more like practice wasn't that bad and then all of a sudden like warming up before the first game i like couldn't connect the pass i was throwing shots over the hoop and everything like i was more nervous than i've been for probably any quidditch game in my life um <laughs> and so to get to sub in right before like a fast break alley-oop was so nice because like once the ball went through, I was like, oh, okay, we're just, we're just playing Quidditch. It's just the same game. You just put the ball through the hoop, not rocket science. Don't overthink it. Um, and so that was, that was a great weekend. It was, it was a great week having the two days all week, um, getting to spend all that time with the team um, was a great bonding experience, a great chance to like meet a, a lot of people as f more friends that I had known as competitors. Like, you know, like all the the Texas guys or whatever, because even in Houston, like those Texas guys whoop my ass then too. Uh, you know, so getting getting a chance to, um, they they're they're such nice people. They're a really hard group of like you can sports hate them, sure, but like as people, they're really impossible to dislike. Um, <laughs> so it was nice to be able to get to spend that week, you know, with them and with people I'd never met from across the country in person. And just get to be friends and hang out. Um, maybe I'm looking at this with more of a pandemic lens now too. But it was it was a really it was a really great week, um, and it was good to be able to make each other better, too. Like the the weekend was kind of a showcase for the work that we put in over that week in the heat. Um, you know, grinding out possessions and and working to improve our craft. Mm -hmm. That's really that's well interesting to hear, I guess. Um, I'm quite conscious we're, we're pushing time a bit. So we're going to move on to our mailbag questions to round out the episode. So these have been sent in by various 
uh, people to our Facebook page. So thank you to everyone who's sent in their questions. Uh, I'm going to start with a fun one, which is coming from your new team, the Boston Pandas. Are there more leaves in the world or grains of sand on one beach? A bit of a bit of trivia for you. I'm, uh, I'm so glad. You're right. It is trivia because there is a correct answer. And it is absolutely there are more grains of sand on an average beach than there are leaves in the world. Um, you, can, you can look up the math if you'd like, or you can uh, send a direct message to Mario Nasta, resident math major, uh, business professional, uh, and person who's always right about everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, every day is a school day. Uh, fun fact. All right. Absolutely. Um, if you could pick three teammates to join you on a road trip, who would they be? Wow. That depends how long the road trip is because I love Mario, but you know, eight hours of being wrong is brutal. <laughs> That's my fiance. <laughs> um, okay. Three. I had a lot of teammates. This is really putting me on the spot here. Uh, three, three teammates to go on a road trip with. Um, start with Mario. Um, definitely. See, like, there's people that are going to be left out of this question, and I'm, and I might have actually changed my answer, like, if they were to, if they were to bring it up. So, this isn't a slight against anybody. These are just three people off the top of my head who I know I would have fun in a road trip with. Yeah, sure. Um, can I pick five? <laughs> All right. Um, I'll pick the the so car. Yes. I yeah, I have a lot of fun uh, with Mario, Tyler, Leanne. It's great on road trips. She's great because like we're really good friends, but you know when she talks to me, it's like she hates me. Um, but we we have a really good dynamic. Um, we had, I had a great road trip with in that 2015 season with uh, Harry Greenhouse and Sheldon Bostic. Um, that that was a great that was a great trip. Um, but yeah, so I'll go with like Leanne and Tyler and Mario, and then one wild card seat for any other of the teammates I've had. Cause I've had a lot of really good fun teammates. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> interesting, interesting answer. So a bit more of a, I guess, more serious question. What's your interpretation of European Quidditch and why does the U S continually come out on top? Uh, so I would say, um, I think that the European game is very interesting. Um, like you can see, just like you see differences in styles, if you watch different regions in the U.S., like the West plays different than the Southwest, plays different than the Northeast, plays different than the South, and then everywhere in the middle. I don't know if those are still one or two regions in the middle, but they play differently too. Um, when you watch European Quidditch or different parts of Europe, even like you see clear stylistic differences, which is something that I enjoy. Like I don't want to watch Quidditch where everyone plays the same, and we already went over my philosophy on it's important to not play the same. It's important to play the best for your team. Um, I also think it might be a little bit of a, of a farce to think that the U S will always come out on top. I think they've come out on top so far, but I think if you consider the fact that they had a head start in learning the sport um, and the fact that a lot of the elite talent in the U S has been playing since very close to its beginning, like, you know, one kind of graduation cycle after it's begin after the sports beginning here that's a lot of 
experience. That's a lot of experience in MLQ, which I believe started earlier than the QPL. But, yep. you know, Europe is much bigger than England. So, like, there's other, you know, there's a lot of areas of Europe that might not have the same access to a selective league that kind of grinds the top talent against each other to make them better. Even, like, MLQ abandoned, you know, MLQ thought it was too far-reaching to play, uh, you know, to have the West teams still under its wing. And the West is doing its own thing with the Western Championship Quidditch, I believe. Um, mm. Definitely look that up. It's a lot of good quality Quidditch out there with really good players. Um, so I, I think I said it right. But that's that's a good league, nonetheless. Um, so I, I think the benefit of starting first and starting MLQ first and having all kinds of games like that and then also consider that we only play across continents every two years or however many based on what the pandemic does to this. It might end up being four or three or whatever. Um, so, like, it's the gap is definitely shrinking. We just don't get the chance to see it. Like, if we got to see 10 games a year of the U.S. and Belgium or, you know, whoever, I'm sure that we would notice a lot of close games it's not 2012 anymore but the fact that you only play once every two years means the last game that you have in your mind was oh the u.s won like well does that mean in the year in between that nothing has happened to the gap because i i don't think so so i i think that there's a lot of incredible athletes um in europe and australia and throughout the world and hopefully i get the chance to play against them uh but <laughs> it's, a, it's a very diplomatic answer i like it yeah. uh so just got a couple more questions for you um, so do you have any inspirations from other sports? Um, yeah, I definitely, uh, basketball and soccer, um, a lot of inspirations. Um, I love part of what I really love about Quidditch is playing with the X's and O's, um, and kind of the tactics of how to get people open. Like I, it's cool to have somebody that can get themselves open by being the best. But to me, it's cool to be able to draw somebody open. Like the defense didn't have a chance because you did exactly, you knew what they were going to do and you played it perfectly before the play. Like that's, that's the type of thing that I love. So definitely there's a lot of that in basketball, especially like college basketball, um, which I'm a, I'm a huge fan of. I love guys that can scheme people open. Um, And then soccer in the way of the beauty of the game, you know, seeing teams play tiki-taka, seeing teams draw, you know, you draw pressure in to open up space somewhere else and you beat the, you beat the defense back that way. Um, and the creativity too. So of, of both, because basketball players and soccer players are both creative, but obviously it looks very different. And I think Quidditch, you can see a little of both in that. Um, so yeah, I definitely inspired by those. Yeah. Fantastic. And last question, got to finish on. Um, who, who, or guess what has made you the player that you are today? Um, my teammates, definitely, definitely my teammates this is a team game. And like I said, I've been completely blessed to have some of the best teammates in the world, teammates that I would go to war with. So, you know, definitely teammates that want to win, that care about the people around them. Um, and making themselves and each other better and holding everybody accountable. So teammates are why I play the game and why I can't step away from it. That's a really uh, nice note to finish on. Um, that's all we've got time for. 
for this episode. Uh, Teddy, it's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks. It's, it's been great. I uh, really appreciate sort of the level of depth we've been able to go in across the last hour or so. Yeah, I told um, you I can ramble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we hope that everyone's enjoyed this episode. Once again, we thank uh, you, the listeners, for sending in your mailbag questions for our guests. If you want to stay up to date with future episodes, please give the Total Quidditch Facebook page a like. We'll be announcing upcoming guests on there and, of course, giving you a chance to send in more of your questions. So until next time, uh, keep yourselves safe and live the game. Goodbye.